The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following works. The Exorcist, The Exorcist II, The Heretic, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Hannah and Her Sisters, Minority Report, The Tudors, Game of Thrones, The Seventh Seal, The Princess Bride, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Fantasy Island, Better Call Saul, Dispatches from Elsewhere, Big Fish, and Emma. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. And um, I should say welcome to you. Welcome back, right? <laughs> so you, you were here for the last episode, but unable to speak for most of it. I can speak now. So you're, yeah. you're, you're back in the game. It wasn't so. coronavirus to the best that I can tell. Yeah, no, so, but it was right. ugly, right? You had yeah. several days of no voice. And and I'm still losing it a little now when I talk too much. So. Yeah, coughing silently. It was, it was weird. <laughs> okay, so what what's up for this week? We're... Well, um, Max von Sydow died. Yeah, that's that's sad. So yeah. we decided we dedicated an episode to one of the um, most philosophical films of all time that he starred in, which is The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and an uh, actor that's just you know been in dozens of things that we've enjoyed over the years. Um, so I guess um, in addition to Max von Sydow, my, my parents are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I won't get them into any trouble with CPS if I say what I'm about to say. Oh, dear. Um, and enough time has passed. But my, my first introduction to Max von Sydow was when I was 13, and my parents took me to see The Exorcist. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, we, we saw it um, you know, a few months after it came out at the drive-in. I can remember being in the back of my parents' rambler, Man. terrified. Um, that is quite the movie to have on a huge screen at the drive-in. I, wow. Yeah. Pretty disturbing, large images. It, it was the 70s, you know, we were all coked out and it was... When you were 13. Well, I wasn't, but you know, <laughs> everybody else was. It, it, was a, it was a crazy time and nobody actually thought, hey, can you take your kid to The Exorcist? You just thought, yeah, The Exorcist is going to put the kids in their jammies, throw them in the back of the station oh, wagon, man. give them some popcorn... They won't even notice. I, I did not sleep right for maybe two oh, years. Oh, I know. When I saw The Exorcist, now my parents did not authorize my viewing of The Exorcist. Um, I, so you know how, I, at least it is my belief, I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but and it was my belief at the time that they get the, the whole, whole Ouija board that gets the thing going out of the, the attic, you mm-hmm. know? And so when I was growing up, there was this um, door that led to the attic right outside my room. And I swear... Every time I went to my room, I just ran past that <laughs> for for years after I saw the uh, the Exorcist. Yeah, and, and yeah, great film, and Max von Sydow was great in it. Um, he was also an Exorcist. As the Exorcist, yeah, yeah he was the Exorcist. Right? His father, um, the the priest, <laughs> yeah. starts with an M. I look it up. I've got a computer right here, but I'm not going to stoop to that level. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was in Exorcist too, The Heretic. Not quite as good. Um, considerable drop-off. The, the next thing I saw him in that, that where I knew I was watching him um, was the Woody Allen film, Hannah and Her Sisters, right? Mm-hmm. And he was the creepy husband of Lee, the, the middle sister uh, that Michael Caine um, falls in love with. And he's like this controlling old artist that, you know, um, believed that, that his wife should stay with him because of his brilliance and not not any good thing. And, and he was just great in that. Um, He's great in everything you ever see him in. He was in Minority Report, yeah, which is but, also a really philosophical film, despite yeah. the presence of Tom Cruise. Yeah, do you remember him in The Tudors? He was in four or five episodes right. of one of the oh. Cardinals. Oh, 
okay. Um, no, I didn't remember that, but now I now I have to rewatch because I loved the Tudors. Yeah, and then the, yeah, the kids today know him as the Three Eyed Raven. Right. Um, and in fact, when I was cow. talking yeah. to my class, I'm like, "Oh, Max von Sydow died." And like, no. And I was like, "He's some old guy." And I was like, "Oh." He's uh, some old guy, and that yeah, made them go, "Oh." Yeah, that's that's what they relate to. Is, oh, okay. That, that explains his death and everything. Right? He's, <laughs> he's old. Um, but yeah, so d- anyway, great actor, great loss for philosophy um, as it occasionally appears in film and theater and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so The Seventh Seal. Right, um, Starts out with uh, Max von Sydow's character um, and his squire... And they're lying on the beach. Yeah, so it's just after the Crusades, and he's a, a knight that's returned. And um, they, they, they're they back in Denmark, and they're traveling along a little bit. And who shows up? None other than death. Death, right? Um, and he says, I've been following you for a long time. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's been with him. And this is, this is like you know, the iconic portrayal of death in film that gave rise to so many homages, parodies, right? It's mm-hmm. the, the famous bit where he plays chess with death and they've, they've got a bargain, right? And if he, can, if he can win, then he gets to live longer. And um, if not, then he, he doesn't. Um, so lots of examples of this, but my favorite... Um, probably the, the parody of it in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey where they meet death and and um, they actually beat him at, at his game. But they get to pick the games, of course. So they pick Battleship, Clue, Twister. <laughs> right? And, and the, the, the character of death um, in the Bill and Ted movies sort of seems a lot like the character of death in this, this film as well. He's got a, sort of a similar aesthetic. And they do a little, the, Max von Sydow holds out the two chess pieces and um, Death picks one and it turns out being black. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. It? Um, and it reminded me. Oh, oh yeah. It reminded me of a story that one of our students from the prison system told us. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember? Right, right, yeah. Uh, African-American um, student who says, you know what I hate about chess? White always goes first. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a poem about it. Yeah. He said, right? It's, it's a, and it makes me mad. I wrote a poem about it, <laughs> which is great. That, I, we didn't get to hear it, though. No, but two times this week, um, a student said, I've written a poem on the subject that we're talking about, right? It happened in mm-hmm. my philosophy of language class. And he asked to read it for the class, and it was, it was fantastic. Everyone loved it. So That's great. So that's great. Yeah, so this is this iconic scene, and he's playing this game of chess with death for his life. And the, the game lasts the duration of the film, um, so lots of things sort of take place. Yeah, I, I was, the, what, that's the one like big question mark I have about the structure of the film is that why did Death let the game go on so long? I mean, it's like, you know, a couple moves and then Max Van Sydow gets to go around the country. For a whole day <laughs> yeah, or yeah, a couple yeah. of days. I know, and if I were Max Van Sydow, um, or the character, Antonius Block, I would just say, yeah, no, I, it, it's my book I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking because yeah. like, it wasn't like tournament chess where they have a little timer and you know. Yeah, they're the only, taking their sweet time. They get an hour and they're lounging that, as they play. They're yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, lounging and talking. It's it's a it's a gay and frivolous time with, <laughs> with death. Um, oh, another instance of it. I I don't know. Tell me what you think. So mm. I don't I don't know if I think this is an homage or not or just there's a superficial similarity that I like. But the Battle of Wits. Oh, and uh-huh. the Princess Bride uh-huh. has that same yeah, it does. kind of back and forth, the witty repartee. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, um, Antonius Block is is very bold, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will outsmart you. I'm brilliant at this. I'll win. And mm-hmm. Death is, you know, condescendingly, I'm sure you will. Mm-hmm. With this wry, there's no way you're going to win kind of thing going on. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's what gets it started. Um, and that is useful for framing part of it um, and also just sort of creating this conceit, right, that's the backdrop of everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's more interesting things going on in the seventh seal than just the game of chess. 
So he arrives at his new country, or not, well, not his new country. I think the country where he originally yeah, lived. Yeah, right? Denmark. He's, he's, he's back home. Right. So he's been out on the uh, in the Crusades, fighting in the Crusades, and he's back home. Um, and what he encounters upon arriving home is the plague. Yeah. And early on, there, so the the squire sees someone sitting by the side of the road, and he tries to get his attention. And sure enough, he pulls his shoulder back, and the guy has died from the plague. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. The the, the person who knows the way to the inn. Yeah. And, that, and that's where we first really get a glimpse of the squire, right? He's he's there earlier, but now he's being kind of funny. Uh huh. It's like, did he did he give you good um, directions? Well, not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Was he interesting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and that, so you've got these two different ways of portraying death, both the way that we actually encounter it in life, well, mm-hmm. or don't encounter it, the, the way yeah. other people encounter it after we're gone, and then death himself, the personification. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. both are kind of doing some work when it, when it comes to exploring the philosophical themes. You get a lot of the imagery, right? So there's the... There's the, the like moving that guy's shoulder back and 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 then you see his face and it's mm-hmm. it's almost like looking like a mask, right? A death right. mask. And then there's that other scene where the actors are um, practicing outside of their little caravan, and uh, the um, what was the guy's name that isn't isn't either Mia or Joff? Anyway, that guy. Um, yeah. he, he, there's Plock, but I don't think it's Plock, right? Plock's the, the husband of... The husband of the woman he runs out yeah. with. But in any case, he takes off, he, he's dancing around in this mask, and they're, they're asking him, Mia and Joff are asking him whether the ladies enjoy him playing death, and then he takes off the death mask and hangs it on the tree, and they do a close-up of it. Mm-hmm. There's lots of that kind of image, imagery. Yeah, um, yeah, right. And so, okay, so they're, they're... In this game of chess, they're moving through the countryside. I think the whole thing has a you know a day or so, and then they start exploring certain existentialist themes. Yeah. Right? So this is one so. of the most existential films that there is. Yeah. Uh, I remember as a student um, when I took my very first existentialism class, writing on the Seventh Seal was one of the main projects that you mm-hmm. could do. Yeah, um, I, and I had my students this last semester. Yeah, I, I taught it in the fall, and that was the first film that we watched. Yeah, and, I taught it three or four times at UMass and have them watch it too. Um, yeah. So s- okay, go ahead. Some of the existentialist themes, I'll just kind of do some road mapping about what we thought we'd talk about on this episode. Um, some of the major existentialist themes that we'll discuss are um, death, mm-hmm. religious themes, which we've already sort of covered the death part, but religious yeah. themes and how they pertain to existentialism, um, meaning in life or meaninglessness, depending on how you want to view it. Um, and relatedly, absurdity um, and the human condition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do you want to dive in and maybe start talking about relig- the religious themes? Yeah. So, so Block is having this real crisis, right? So, you know, at various times he's talking to people, and he's just back from the crusade, so he's there doing the Lord's work, but he he thinks it's all worthless, and and mm-hmm. he doesn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. And one thing that sort of struck me as as interesting, you know. If I were having a um, sort of a crisis of, mm-hmm. of faith, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the last person to have a crisis of faith for reasons that are probably obvious to our listeners by now. Mm-hmm. But, but if I were, um, one thing that would help me would be a sign, mm-hmm. right? So had an hour earlier, I'd played a game of chess or started one right. with the Grim Reaper. <laughs> I know, once you get the supernatural thing there, yeah. then that provides some evidence. Yeah, you got this guy that, that appears out of thin air that's been with you for a very long time, right? Been following, I guess you're supposed to think that, you know, followed him through the Crusades where mm-hmm. the potential for death was all around, and mm-hmm. then now back home where the plague's all around. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that that would do it for me. Um, that would, yeah, right. I would I would have a lot of faith. But he's he's not taken that clue right so he's talking to different people and he's um at one point he's talking to what he takes to be a priest in a confessional yeah that's the best scene for this point i think yeah but it's it's just death and he's just saying you know what about people who don't believe and you know um and and my life has has been sort of meaningless and there's a great juxtaposition with him and um the squire right where the squire is this kind of nihilist that just of course not Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I, 
So the 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 nihilist or the squire is the nihilist that says, "Of course not." But I think Block is saying, "Of course not," plenty of the time. So in that scene that you just were mentioning, when he's talking to the priest, you know, he's he's basically articulating something close to the problem of evil. Yeah. Um. And and I think you know he starts out that conversation by saying, "Why can't we apprehend?" God with our senses. Why does God, you know, this is some version of the problem of evil, I think, is why does God make it so difficult to know that he exists? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, that, you know, people are eager to believe. So they would believe if only he'd give them the right sign. Mm-hmm. They, and before, you know, Block realizes, since he is playing ch- chess with death, that he's, that death is coming for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, right. And, this is the time for him to repent everything. And he's, Going in the exact opposite and direction. His, his idea about it is, um, you know, it's not that he doesn't want to die; it's that he wants to know for sure what's going to happen, mm-hmm. or not even not even what's going to happen, but just whether God exists. And this is a really interesting question from coming from someone who just spent time fighting in the Crusades. Yeah, and a, and a whole <laughs> lifetime, in one way or another, essentially dedicated to God. But I saw that he mischaracterized it a moment ago. Right? He's, he's not having a crisis; he's had his crisis, and he's on the other side of it. So do you agree when he's talking to the priest that he doesn't seem to be struggling anymore? He's like saying, what do you do for people like me? Oh, I that, feel like that, he's quite struggling. That just, well, he's, he's, yeah, I guess he's, I want to say he's struggling, but he's not struggling with the question. It, it seems like he's moved past belief in God at the time he's talking to the priest. There's a couple of things he said. In the sense that he no longer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what you mean. He's struggling okay. with the fact okay. that he doesn't believe, but he's not struggling with whether to believe. Right, which is interesting because, like you said, he's he's knows he's dying. Death is there with him. Mm. You know, it's, his end is very near. It's it's imminent. I mean, he thinks he might win the um, the the chess match, but in this scene, it's determined that he's not going to. Mm-hmm. Right, because he thinks he's talking to a priest, and he tells the priest his strategy for winning. Right, it's going to be a a flank combination with the knight and the bishop, and um, then the priest reveals himself to be death, and he's like. Thank you. I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I, one thing that supports your your um, interpretation that maybe he's already on the other side of it is he says, you know, why can't I, you know, stamp God out from my heart? Mm-hmm. Um, he finds himself uh, as sort of a, a either a non-believer or as someone who wants to fully be a non-believer and can't fully rid himself of it. This is kind of reminding me of the the whole Nietzschean idea that God is dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, it, it just it, in the sense that um, people um, who maybe no longer believe in God haven't yet decided, haven't yet um, taken on what that would entail. Right. Yeah, that yeah. OK, if you really believe that God is dead, how would you change how you behave? Mm-hmm. And, and and what maybe perhaps one of the reasons why people um, haven't haven't changed how they would behave. And I think Nietzsche uh, advocates you know, becoming gods yourselves, becoming creative forces and, and engaging in self-mastery and self-creation and things like that. But so long as you're in the position like Antonius Block, where despite your best efforts to rid yourself of the idea, um, you still find that idea of God stamped on in, inside. Right. You can't rid yourself of it. You're not going to be able to take the next steps. Although it, by the, at the end of the day, I don't know that Block actually even wants to take um, those next steps because of the people, the the company that he aligns himself with. Right, right, and yeah, and, and I think in in the end, when he dies, he's ready to die. He's done his mm-hmm. work, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little yeah. bit yeah. when we get to the the stuff on meaning. But I want to say just a little more since we brought up the problem of evil. Um, so we did an episode on it um, a, a couple seasons ago, but just the thumbnail sketch um, of the problem of evil is you know why do um, bad things happen to good people. Why, what, why would an all-powerful, all-good God allow for this stuff? And so he comes back. He's just spent years killing people in the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And, and his homeland is ravaged by the plague. Mm-hmm. right? So this will sort of inspire this. Um, and you, you see his response to it, which is, yeah, the, you know, God doesn't exist. God could just show himself, right? Mm-hmm. We, this, is, this is bad. Um, but we get um, a different account, a, a couple of different accounts of the problem of evil, or, or not accounts of it, but um, responses to it, right? So um, we were going to talk about the, the group of flagellants that, um, 
that wander through. Um, yeah. So do you want to set that up and I'll tie it into the problem of evil? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm flag, F-L-A-G. <laughs> just because last week it sounded like I said the Leaning Tower of Pizza one of the times. <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, yeah. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I think that there's um, a juxtaposition um, and, and there's a scene early on. You get introduced to the actors while they're traveling in the woods. And um, when you first in, when they're first introduced, the male um, one of the male members of the troupe um, uh, is has a vision of the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. um, with with baby Jesus running through the, the forest. Although it's a, a Virgin Mary that is in a queen outfit with a crown. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, which I guess is not that uncommon. But that's like the Virgin Queen Mary from from the Crusades of <laughs> of England, or maybe the Virgin Mary Queen of Scots. So. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, um, looks like them. So I, well, I was I was going to mention to you as before I get to the the um, the the people engaged in self flagellation. I I um, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that. Uh, when if you're watching the seventh seal on Amazon and you press pause and um, the two actors Mia and Joff are on the screen, it sa- the 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 description underneath says Joseph and Mary. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that there's you know maybe that's just what language is this in? Um, it's Swedish. Swedish. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I think maybe that's those are just the Swedish mm-hmm. names for Joseph and Mary. Yeah, by, by the way, my grandmother was Danish, right? So this is about Denmark. And um, when I was younger, um, I learned some Danish words mm-hmm. to say to her because I thought that would that would make her happy. And her reply to me was, you sound like a Spenska, right? So um, a Swede. And, <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't a compliment. So I think there's this Swedish-Danish... Um, rivalry kind of thing going on you know huh. like the yankees and the red sox or something oh, oh. and and you wonder if um you know ingmar bergman making this movie says well you know if they're all going to be dying and ravaged with the plague let's make them all oh, danes goodness well hopefully yeah. that's just a rivalry rather than some form of racism or something like that yeah no, 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 no. they're all practically the same race yeah, right? Yeah, right 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 <laughs> it's like yeah and, and, and it's you know, scandinavians actually all love each other it's it's a tight community but this fun competitive stuff. So um, Springfield and Shelbyville, right? <laughs> that, that sort of thing going on. Okay, but anyway, yeah. So um, Mary and Joseph. Mary right? and Joseph. Okay, yeah. So um, yeah. So th- so they show this scene, and then there there's apparently a parallel between the Virgin Mary and Child and um, this the uh, Mia and her child mm-hmm. and and Joff and Joseph. Um, but then they go and they perform on the stage mm-hmm. and uh, they're dancing around and people are like throwing produce at them and they're, you know, they're doing their job. But interestingly, not at them, right? They're throwing produce at their, their, their troop mate. Oh, the, right. The other right. And, and so I had a thought about this just quickly before we go on. Right. So he abandons them at one point, mm-hmm. um, runs off with a woman and they're like, well, now we have to change our act and stuff. Um, I wonder if he's not Judas, right? He betrayed oh, them. perhaps, yeah. You know, Could and, be the and case, yeah. he's the one everybody in the audience instinctively knew to hate, to throw fruit at. Yeah, and, that, oh, that's, that's an so interesting forth. point. Yeah. yeah. So they're kind of made out to be the fools, you know. I mean, even Mary and Joseph, though, they're, they're literally wearing, or me and Joff, they're literally wearing Joker outfits, yeah, dancing yeah. around and bells ringing and stuff like that. If you had tarot cards and one of them said the fool, they would... Right, it would, they would their, be dressed like that. Their outfit, yeah. Um, and then later in the the um, later in the 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 show, um, Joff is in the tavern and he's being kind of bullied by some of the people there, and they're saying, mm-hmm. "Dance around like a bear and imitate a bear." And so again, yeah. he's being treated like a fool. And they're, yeah, they're kind of threatening him with his life mm-hmm. if he doesn't. And right, but after the uh, in the original scene, right after they're you know on the stage there and and having produce thrown at at least one of them then there's this really striking scene but th- that scene gets interrupted by this the striking other event which is that um p- there's a, a pilgrimage 
occurring where people are in a long line whipping themselves and whipping each other and holding a cross with Christ on it and moaning and wailing and crying on their knees. Right. Um, taking and, responsibility for the plague. This is their fault. They... There's this big dramatic speech that the, the seeming leader of them gives where he's like, what are you people doing? You know, um, enjoying your lives and watching frivolous theater and you know don't you realize you're gonna die as if the appropriate response to realizing you're gonna die is just trying to ingratiate yourself to the lord by whipping yourself and this definitely reminds me of um again of nietzsche right yeah, yeah. when nietzsche talks about um this what he takes to be one of the and sorry, just talking about Nietzsche here, I'm not advocating this view, but um, talking, discussing one of the illnesses that Christianity gives rise to, mm-hmm. um, or that, that really the illnesses that the, um, the inversion of values gives rise to, um, which is um, that you come to hate yourself and you right, try to, right. um, to, to and, and you feel like you can never be good enough for this God that you've created. And so in response to that, you engage in asceticism and self-denial and you know the 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 priestly values poverty chastity obedience and then plenty of people even go beyond that that they not only do they one of Nietzsche's concerns is that Christianity involves a rejection of the the strengths of um human beings right Mm -hmm. um in favor of these more self-denying virtues that he might put in scare quotes if he was a scare quote guy yeah um and, and oh, Nietzsche totally was. He, he was famous <laughs> for that. In fact, he would use three fingers instead of two for emphasis. <laughs> right. So back to what I was going to say um, earlier about the, the, the group of flagellants. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, you're, you're supposed to think um, that these now are truly the fools, right? The other group um, mm-hmm. that were playing the fools are not the fools, but, you know, mm-hmm. these people just, you know, in the middle of a plague, take it upon themselves to just kind of beat themselves and admonish other people to do. And might I just say also fools in a more tragic way. Everybody's yeah. just like shocked and appalled and like crying. And yeah, so it's, it's not a funny fool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with that in mind, I think you're not supposed to take what they say very seriously other than they just sort of represent a segment of society mm-hmm. and specifically sort of a segment of, of mm-hmm. religious thought. Um, but they do constitute a response to the problem of evil, right? So you, you, you set this up earlier with yeah. Block talking to the priest and saying, look, you know, and also maybe um, the um, the squire talking to the painter of the frescoes and they're just mm-hmm. saying, well, this is horrible, death is all around, you know, uh, what God kind of allows for this. Why, you know, how could this be happening? Um, and, you know, it's supposed to be some sort of redacted. You know, there is no God if, if God's allowing for this. These guys have a response to that, which is, this is our fault, right? It's a standard mm-hmm. response to the problem of evil. Humans are mm-hmm. to blame. We mm-hmm. deserve the evil where, you know, God's mm-hmm. being merciful by only heaping plagues and crusades on us and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, one response we see to the problem of evil is blocked with, uh, I can't reconcile God yeah. with what's going oh, on. And you see something similar with the, the squire, um, John's. Yeah. On the other hand, you've got this group of just religious fanatics. They're like, no, no, no. This God's being nice. He's, you know, we, we deserve this. And in fact, we deserve more than God's giving us. So we're going to take it upon ourselves to scar our own backs with whips. And you yeah. know, we're in the middle of the plague, but we're going to make it worse. We're really going to suffer. And also, I think that that um, when Camus in the myth of Sisyphus is talking about, he's talking about the absurdity of the human condition. This is something we were going to talk about in a few minutes, but may as well bring it up now. Yeah. Um, and he's talking, so, so how he sets this up is basically the universe isn't the kind of thing that can care about your desires. And um, the plague is a good illustration of that. And by the way, we are to watch a movie about something like the plague right now when there's the coronavirus scare. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, the plague is a great um, metaphor for absurdity, I think, because it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what you want. Um, you know, so f- for example, uh, Block wants to, um, find meaning Block, Block wants to be sure of the existence of God and all that kind of stuff before he dies. Um, but then, you know, in that same priest scene, he, when he gives his, his strategy, he says to, to death, you tricked me. 
right? And I think that that's supposed to be part of this metaphor that, um, that it doesn't matter, you know, death doesn't care about your best laid plans, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's going to, he's going to get there some way or the other. Um, but so, so I think this is all a good metaphor for absurdity. And Camus talks about one of the ways of responding to absurdity is to engage in escapist strategies. So just to kind of try to make sense out of things that are senseless, to try to avoid the problem, or, you know, or to, to make the problem a non-problem in some sense. Mm -hmm. And it may be hard to think, well, that's what these people who are whipping themselves are doing, but they, they really are because they're trying to make it something like, okay, God is heaping down this hellfire on us in the form of the plague. Um, and if we just do enough of this, mm -hmm. then we'll even out the scorecard, at least in our own case, and it'll all be okay because God is just and merciful and surely he wouldn't let the plague be senseless. Right, right. So it's, Yeah, it's part of his goodness that there's mm -hmm. some sort of mm -hmm. reason behind it. So related to your problem of evil thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so one further thing I wanted to say about religion, and this is just a small point. Um, so there's a point at which the squire is in this cathedral. And, well, there's a lot of good scenes with the squire in the cathedral. But one, the one that's coming popping to mind immediately is he's looking at this painting that the priest, uh, one of the, it's like a priest or someone, some, some religious um, authority is in their painting. Of, uh, and... Um, one of the things he's painting is someone with the plague with boils all over his face. And he, the, the guy is explaining this to the squire, what happens when someone gets the plague. And the, he says, you better give me some gin. All I've had all day to drink all day is water. I'm as thirsty as a desert camel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but the squire, um, in a later scene, encounters uh, this man who is, stealing a, a bracelet from the body of a dead person and is caught in the act um, inadvertently by a beautiful young woman. And, um, and the, the guy at, is clearly about to attempt to rape the woman. Yeah, yeah. And then the squire comes in and um, says, I recognize you to the man. And he says, I knew you at seminary. Um, you were the one that convinced us to go on a crusade. Right, and I think here that character is supposed to stand in, perhaps at least uh, roughly for for a good chunk of the movie um, for organized religion, right? Yeah, that yeah. that it's corrupt, that it's um, that that it has ulterior motives. Right. Um, you know, yeah, the thieves that will tell you one thing and then, right. You know, rob people when when they think no one's looking, mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and then that that character Ravel. Um, gets his comeuppance, right? He gets the plague and he's begging for mercy and all of that. And, yeah. You know, and it, it's interesting because, you know, part of the, the nihilistic theme is huh. there's just this bad stuff's just happening. But over and over you see people getting justice, mm -hmm. right? Um, the actor that runs off with the girl gets caught and chased by her husband and this guy dies a particularly lonely, painful death. And Yeah. It's... It's yeah. I don't know what you're supposed to think at the end of the film. Like if you're supposed to think that it has resolved in a decidedly non-existential way, mm -hmm. um, or what? Or maybe maybe not a decidedly non-existential way, but more of a Kierkegaardian way, or something like that. Or if you're supposed to still but you're not retain supposed to make nihilism. the leap of faith. I don't think right. If well, that's... if well, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Why don't we um, Why don't we turn to that? Um, so well, I know that one of the points you wanted to make had to do with, um, block doing one meaning, doing one meaningful act. We, we wanna... Yeah. So this is something that runs throughout the, the film, right? He's playing, um, chess with death early on and, um, you know, death is inquiring as to why he won't wants more time. And, you know, it's, he's sort of saying that, that, you know, his life has been meaningless, right? Even though he's a knight and he's a crusader he's you know he's a servant of the lord and all that and so he would like the opportunity to do one meaningful deed and then throughout the film he works towards that end and the meaningful deed is death has come for everybody in the movie um right how's that happen um you know from monty python and the meaning of life they all ate the salmon moose mm -hmm. or in this case it's just the plague is yeah. Hitting, hitting everybody. 
But um, he saves the actor, you know, um, Mia and Joff and the baby, mm-hmm. um, who I think sort of represent, you know, back to Nietzsche, this, this kind of aesthetically lived life, right? A, mm-hmm. Apart from the religious life. They're, they're an optimistic vision of the future. And so when they get to the end of the, the chess match and it looks like he's going to lose, he um, um, block knocks all the chess pieces off the board and Death says, that's okay, I know where they go. And he takes a little time and he puts them back. And as he does that, Joppa, Mia, and the baby um, get away, right? And, and so they, Death doesn't take them with him. So his meaningful deed is, you know, he's been trying to save the world and do all this stuff. He's like, no, no, no. This is saving this one act makes his life meaningful. I don't, th- I don't think that they hit you over the head with this. Um, and I think maybe I didn't even catch it the first couple times I watched this. But, and I don't know why. It's, it's not that hard to catch. But um, I think that the reason why you're supposed to think that death is coming for Joff and Mia and the baby is because, and I think this this ties back into the religious aspect is that character who. Um, was stealing from a plague um, victim. Uh, stole Ravel a, is, is his name. Ravel, okay, yeah. right. He he steals a bracelet, mm-hmm. and then later Joff picks up the bracelet that that guy took off the plague victim and gives it to Mia. Uh-huh. And so oh, I think I you're supposed to either, think. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting is that the whole reason that Joff has it is because this guy that represents organized religion stole it yeah yeah. and then now this group that maybe i kind of think of um so i guess this is an interpretive thing because you're saying that they to you represent a certain kind of aesthetic a way of living one's life aesthetically they they to me they that might be right um but tell me how you think your view jibes with this maybe they're they're not mutually Exclusive, maybe they are. I tend to think of that little group, the, the little troop of actors, as representing hope or something. Yeah, yeah. Is that? They're, yeah, they're they're young, they're optimistic, they're the future. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to. And if, be, if the be, future is good. Yeah, <laughs> well, but that's what I think. What you're getting from that mm-hmm. is, you know, in the end, it, it's focusing on these happy people. Mm-hmm. Death is leaving. Death is taking all the dead people with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're. you're Supposed to think, okay, now the plague's over and uh-huh. and things will be better. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't know that that Bergman, who um, you know directed this, but he also wrote it. It's based on a, a play that he wrote. It has the Nietzschean interpretation in mind. It's just something that sort of presents itself to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if we're if we're following Nietzsche, you've got the God is dead story. You've mm-hmm. got you know religion dying with it. You've got Somebody's sort of waking up from that, but you know the next step in the evolution towards um, you know the Overman or Ubermensch has to be somebody else. It can't be the people recognizing it, who I think Block is, and so you know Block Block needs to die, but he's laid this groundwork. He's helped bring about the next evolution, yeah. um, and you know traveling minstrels is. I've got well, here, here's here's a bit of uh, evidence from the film in support of your interpretation here. Um, is Mia Block runs into Mia in a prairie, and she's there with her baby. And that was a great scene. Yeah. I remember this. And she lies down, or she's she's they're they're talking, and they're kind of really talking about the human condition. Not it's it's not explicit, but it's pretty obvious. And then. You know, so there's this there's this existential problem that some people present um, for that is like the tedium of the human condition that one day is the same as the other. And I thought it was really interesting that there's a scene where in that scene, Mia says one day is the same as the other. Mm-hmm. And in a very optimistic way, right? Like, the, hey, look, I mean, well, even think about um, the doctrine of eternal, the, the setup for the doctrine of, of eternal return, where, um, so here's the doctrine of eternal return, just in case viewers aren't familiar with it. Listeners. Um, oh, yeah. We're, well, we're you're on, probably viewing something. We're but, on something like okay. radio, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in case um, people that are sighted. People who are viewing the seventh seal. How about that? There you go. Um, uh, just in case uh, listeners aren't familiar with it, it's... Um, viewers. So anyway, anyway, uh, Nietzsche says, suppose that some demon came to you and told you that you were going to live this life just as you lived it over and over and over and over again. Um, 
how would you respond to that? Would that be, would that sound like the best thing ever or would it sound like hell? Mm -hmm. If it would sound like the best thing ever, then you're living your life right. If not, you need to change, right? And so I kind of, if you think about her response there, one day is the same as the next. It's, an, it's life affirming. It's like, good. Yeah, we yeah. Get, we get a day, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. That, that does drive nicely sort of with the interpretation that, that I've been pushing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then sort of related to that, right? Um, a lot of the movie is about kind of people saving themselves, saving their yeah. souls. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the people doing what they think to need to, to you know, mm -hmm. the... The people group of people engaging yeah. in self-flagellation, yeah. right? They're doing that to save their souls. Um, so, you know, when you play chess with the devil, which, by the way, we, I wanted to mention earlier and I forgot, um, there's some, you know, medieval art, like famous tapestries where the, the devil's playing board games. Um, and, death, which I or, think is... Sorry, the, I keep saying the I, devil. Yeah, death. I want to come back to that because yeah. there's, there's some interesting things to say. Right. But, okay. I get confused, right? The death, death plays chess, the devil went down to Georgia. <laughs> um yeah, okay, so why why would you play chess with death? To save yourself, right? You, you mm -hmm. win, you get your life back to buy more time. Um, but that's not what Antonios Block is doing here, right? He's playing chess with death to save other people, me and Joff. And ultimately. Their, ultimately in their baby. Yeah, initially. But not early on, yeah. Right, but, but even, even early on, he's got this idea that well, I, I just need more time to do something meaningful, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't a, oh man, don't, I'm not ready to die. He it's, goes on a philosophical journey. So his, yeah. maybe his goals transform as he, yeah. Yeah, well, or they come into focus or something. But, yeah. but at least initially he's like, I need more time because I got to do something meaningful. Mm -hmm. I have wasted my life killing for religion. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the just your slip there, um, I think it's an interesting slip and it's not unsupported. Right. So it's it's almost like you're being encouraged to say um, to equate death with the devil, even though I don't I don't think you should. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. That, that's something I was thinking while watching the film again is, um, you know, if de if it's death, I mean, death comes for good people and bad. And so death shouldn't uh, seemingly shouldn't have any orientation toward um, t like one really in one direction or another. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, but, but this, but I think that, that death clearly does in this um, film. Like, I mean, it's not heavy handed, but um, when Block, that scene we keep mentioning when Block is speaking to death and he thinks it's a priest, mm -hmm. as, as Block is expressing all these reservations about God and how, oh goodness, mm -hmm. you know, how can anyone be expected to believe this, you know, and, and, and but, but at the same time, how can anybody wipe it from their heart? and all that, death is just smirking up a storm, yeah, yeah. right? So it's as if he's just taking great pleasure in observing Block suffering. It was like, why should death be so... Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a butthead in this. I mean, he's, he's, doing, <laughs> he's doing that, but also he's there portraying himself as a priest, and, he's then, deceptive. and then he he's, gets, you know, he's cheating he's at chess. tricky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I actually kind of wonder if... Um, this depiction of death, because death isn't, after all, maybe listeners later can comment if I'm wrong about this, um, but death isn't like a religious figure in Christianity, really, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not a personification. It comes up in a lot of literature and stuff, but it's it's not actually a concept that death yeah. will literally come and get you. Um, uh, it, this character seems to me to be borrowed from, like, Greek mythology, mm -hmm. yeah, um, like yeah, the, the right. conception of being taken into the underworld or something like that by a figure that's neutral but maybe a little put out by the whole thing persistently, right? Such right. that he's got some, you know, he's always it's like being a customer service representative or like a like a like a um, you know, what am I thinking? A debt collector. Mm -hmm. Right. Every time you have an interaction with someone, they they don't want to hear from you. Right, and so yeah, yeah. so death is perturbed, and therefore might if he's veering on the side of either good or evil, mm -hmm. it's a little bit evil because he's always having a bad day. Right, right. <laughs> and they actually, they play that up quite a bit in the villain Ted uh -huh. thing, yeah, because he's in in the entire movie. They beat him at the game, and then 
suddenly Death, who's this you know morbid, mopey, sort of sad sack piece of crap kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, becomes fun later, you know, but in a really stodgy way. He's like, I'm breaking out of my shell, you know, <laughs> and um, yeah, he's just happy to have two buddies. Right? So yeah, I mean, you know, if, how would you feel if, if everybody hated you? The other way that you, you sort of know in the movie that death is coming for Joffa Mia is, um, you know, he's, he's talking to Antonius Block, and at one point he says, you know, are you who are you here for? And death says, everybody in the camera pans over mm-hmm. to Mia and Joff, and mm-hmm. it's like it's sort of, oh, yeah, them. Okay, yeah. now I have it. Now I now I know my good. And days. and there's the scene, there's the bit too where um, they're playing chess, and then he says. Death says to Block, oh, are you traveling with the young woman, the young man and their baby? Mm-hmm. And then he asks, why do you ask? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, any final final thoughts on it? No, just, so. I mean, lots of great themes in this movie. This is one of my favorite philosophical movies. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's now gotta, we've spoiled it for you. It's got to be at least a 30 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th- this is one of the truly great philosophical films, if if not the absolute greatest. Then maybe it'd be useful to mention that it's subtitled, and so if you're planning on making it part of your evening, but you want to play a game on your phone at the same time, this is not the film. Yeah, or or do work because <laughs> yeah. when we we talked earlier in the week about you know once uh, when Mac, when we heard Max Fonseto died, I said, well, let's let's watch the movie again, and you said, yeah, I've seen it a lot of times. But um, I can do a little work while we watch it. And then a minute later, you went, oh, yeah, subtitles. Yeah, this. there's no way you can kind of keep one ear, one eye and one ear on it and then to be doing something else at the same time. It's too in- it's for a variety of reasons. It's not just the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there was one more thing that we haven't talked about just quickly. So it's, it's the seventh seal refers to the apocalypse. Mm. And they the, the movie's you know, bookended by this. They have this quote about the... Um, seventh seal being opened up and then they they recite it at the end um, and it's if if what they're doing is the plague represents something like the apocalypse it ends and the earth goes on so it's a it's yeah. a weird take and so i thought about that a lot this week mm-hmm. um and i wonder if it's not just what they're doing is oh yeah it's the apocalypse but it's the apocalypse for religion right? oh it's, yeah it's yeah. that kind of thing uh-huh. Because it's it it is an interesting juxtaposition to end a movie by talking about the apocalypse while showing these joyous people going off to their their happy future, yeah. right? But it's not heaven. It's yeah. It's here, yeah. So um, interesting. Yeah, if, if you've um, not seen this, you can get it on Amazon. Um, couldn't recommend it um, more highly. Okay, right. What are we liking this week? Well, we've been accumulating things because um, last episode I didn't have a voice and we usually record this segment toward the end, right? And so uh, we couldn't really talk about anything. But, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we were liking stuff, but we kept it to ourselves. <laughs> we've started a few shows. Um, we started The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I know we're a little behind uh, everyone else on that one. That's won some awards and so on. Mm-hmm. Pretty fun. Yeah, when when you podcast about pop culture, you have to watch everything, so you don't get to things right away. But yeah, that's that's a nice look um, at a you know time in the late fifties and early nineteen sixties. Um, and part of what I find appealing about it is just the comedy clubs and the characters that that um, wander in there. So you know, Lenny Bruce makes appearance, and it mm-hmm. taps into to something I sort of remember from my childhood. I wasn't alive right then, but um, that stuff was still pretty influential mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, I've seen a couple movies recently. Um, so here's a movie that everybody seemed to hate, and I didn't. Um, it, this this kind of happens a lot because I like a lot of stuff. But I loved Fantasy Island. Did you love it? I thought you liked it. I, I mean, I think it was bad. Okay, okay, there we go. I, I loved being at it. Um, yeah. It had a, enough sort of nostalgic kitsch going on, but it wasn't one of these dumb, you know, like the Brady Bunch movie or something like, oh, let's just drag every trope from the 70s TV show 
out and string a bunch of things together. That seldom works. Um, or you see, it didn't have that kitsch for me because I've never seen Fantasy Island. Or yeah. if I do, if I have, I don't remember it. So, but they didn't they didn't stick too closely to it. So I thought it was a, a light, you know, standard um, Blumhouse kind Horror of film. Not too gory, not too mm-hmm. creepy, but um, plenty of fun, plenty of energy, kind of stuff going on. Yeah. So the the twists were good. The surprises were good. Um, but ultimately, not a good movie. Oh no, piece yeah. of crap. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, people really didn't like it, and I thought it was a it was a great time. So in a way, there was something good about it. I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, we definitely make. I'd say one thing about us is that we can enjoy bad movies, right? Like, right. There's a difference between a movie being good and that movie being inter- entertaining and. It right. being a movie that you, you'd have fun going to see. Without it having to be one of those so bad it's good things. Because this wasn't that, right? You know, this isn't yeah. a, you know, um, Ed Wood movie where it's just, oh my God, the badness is over the top. The room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. It just wasn't um, particularly good. And yet, it was pretty fun. I, I liked all the... The two-dimensional characters, the actors that played them did a great job. Um, Sometimes you just don't want things to be too heavy. Like, especially when you're like, do philosophy for a living, right? It, like, sometimes it's nice to just go to a film that is just yeah, yeah, an experience. But, yeah. be- but because they made all the characters kind of bigger and life and likable, something, something about it really worked for me. Okay, a um, couple of other shows that um, I'm liking, you know, these came on at the same time. Um, the fourth season, I believe, uh, Better Call Saul. Always good. Just... Yeah, it's just, yeah, consistently good. Um, we mentioned this here, and I think we're both in agreement when they're um, doing the build-up to, um, and in, and including parts of the um, Gus Freen story, it's not as interesting as when they're doing the Saul story, the Kim story, the Mike story. For me, I... The... It's kind of remarkable. Well, I think it's a testament to the writing and the storytelling in the um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul universe uh, that I, I get roped in because for me, I am not even remotely interested in drug culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I don't care. I, I don't, you know, I like to watch true crime or listen to true crime podcasts, but if it is about drugs, I turn it off. I'm just not interested in it. And so um, I think, so what, although not, I'm, not, e- not even when you're really stoned, which is never, which is never. Yeah. Okay. Attention Fair. students, which is never. Which is never. <laughs> okay. Don't uh, do drugs. kids. <laughs> It'll ruin your life. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was just the joke at Rachel's expense. Uh, but, so like, but, so this isn't really a criticism of better call Saul because obviously the drug culture stuff is in it. As part of the whole universe, but I, I, I do find myself getting a little bored when you have to be paying too much attention to who's from what drug cartel. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, you can get lost. But that's in some so of the minimal. Right. Yeah, but I always thought like with Breaking Bad, right? It'd be better instead of you know, cooking meth if you'd become like an artisan bread maker or something, and then just the show could have been called Baking Bread, and, <laughs> you know. And, and then you wouldn't have had to enjoy oh the, the horrible <laughs> drug culture stuff. All right. So the other the other show that started at the same time, but it's it's brand new, is um, Dispatches from Elsewhere. Um, what are we? Three? Epi- we've seen two episodes. Two episodes. We've, we've we got might one watch more. one tonight. I don't yeah. know. Um, boy, but, uh, that's off to a fantastic start. It right? is. And, Jason Siegel. Yeah. And, and he's kind of the, the, the brains behind it, right? He's, you know, produced the project and um wrote the first episode and is i think probably you know working closely with the showrunners um just ingenious i'll tell you okay this is going to be a weird comparison because and somebody who's seen this movie movie recently might be like what are you talking about but um i i had this certain aesthetic experience going to see the movie big fish do you remember that movie Mm -hmm. it was probably i mean that probably came out like in 2005. That was back like when that. Tim Burton could still make good movies. Yeah, and I, I remember... Had Albert Finney, right? I think, and Danny DeVito. And I can't remember who was in it. Johnny Depp, of course, but... I don't think so. I don't yeah. think it has Johnny Depp in it. Let's think all Tim Burton movies <laughs> Johnny Depp. But in any case, I remember that, that the storyline was very much like living your life. 
I remember there was a father-son relationship, I think, and there were stories involved, narratives involved, and there was a question about whether the narratives involved were true because there were these, like... Yeah, the, the father's this big exaggerator and the son kind of hates that about him, but everybody else loves him and the father and the son sort of comes to learn to, oh, there's something. Yeah, you know, it's called so, Big Fish because he would tell a story and, yeah. oh my God, this was right. the biggest fish and, ever. And I, re I remember just very strongly, feeling, I remember asking myself after seeing that movie back when I was an undergraduate and thought all my thoughts were deep when I was... Mm -hmm. Whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would think, oh, well... I remember asking myself, would it be ethical to believe something just because um, you think it's beautiful? Now, my adult say, self would say, nope, it wouldn't. <laughs> right? You, you need you're evidence. You're turned into Clifford. But, um... <laughs> but, but, but I kind of get the same sort of big fish vibe with dispatches from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, because the whole show, I don't want to say it too much, but the whole show is about kind of suspending judgment and believing in magic, kind of. Yeah, and, um, and certainly that's going on yeah. in dispatches from elsewhere. So right. that's sufficiently new, so we probably don't want to spoil um, too much about it. Um, but it's it's character-driven in certain ways, and the characters are really great, and it's plot-driven in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And the plot's um, sufficiently weird, and you never quite know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. At the time it's happening. and I would recommend not Googling it. Not Googling what it's based on. Yeah. Because yeah. I Googled what it was based on and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a spoiler. I, I didn't do that. So, so it, don't do it. What is yeah, it? don't do what it. What is it? <laughs> is, is it the Bible? We're not going to do it. Is it the seventh seal? <laughs> okay. And then last weekend we went and saw Emma and you had read it recently and I had read it years ago. Um, and I thought it was a great interpretation. A the, great, it was pretty, pretty straightforward. It was, well, I wouldn't use struggle to even call it an interpretation. That's just kind of how I picture the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was nice. It was the, the best version of Emma since um, Clueless. <laughs> What's great about it is that it recognizes that that story is supposed to be light and humorous, mm -hmm. right? It's, I, I mean, it's so, I think when you, it's, it's so easy to romanticize Jane Austen books because the love stories are, you know, the, the love, I mean, it's, it's easy to think about them as like romance novels and the love relationships are so melodramatic or whatever, but that, I mean, the, right. the, Emma the is funny. The period stuff too. So when yeah. you watch Pride and Prejudice, you know, you're painfully aware that, um, you know, a, a father of a bunch of daughters is about to have his estate entailed away to the nearest relative, mm -hmm. no matter how awful it is. There's a lot of class stuff, and and this none of that. I no, mean, just, it's, it's there, but it's it's a lot of frivolity. And, they it, the casting was good and just fun. It was it was lighthearted and fun. If you're if you're if you're looking for something, oh well, I simultaneously want to say if you're looking something to get your mind off the coronavirus, go see Emma. And then I'm also saying. Don't go to a movie theater and see Emma if you're yeah. worried about the coronavirus. Right. Um. Yeah. Now I don't. I don't know where this puts us with the authorities, but I understand um, they're having a sale this month on the Pirate Bay. No, they're not. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, if you go on the Pirate Bay, they're watching you. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, lots of lots of good stuff out there, and you mentioned um, not going to the movies. So there's some fun stuff coming out, and we've sort of resolved. For at least the time being, we'll just catch what we can catch on the television and avoid that. We the can theaters. catch everything on the television. There's Netflix and Amazon and yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we can't. What we can't catch is the Quiet Place too. Ooh. But but we'll get there. You know, that's maybe a movie you don't want to see under the present conditions. Yeah. It's like an ap apocalyptic. I think everybody can. Yeah, yeah. Right. Step away from the apocalyptic movies for a minute. But man, I didn't think about that. Um, Movies that are coming out right now are going to take a hit, even if they're expected to be big blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. Um, movies are supposed to be escapism. Going to a movie like that is, yeah. is the exact opposite of escapism. All right, great. Yeah, so for us, it's TV for the next little while. Okay, Rach, that's a wrap. 
Another episode is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. Please visit our webpage, that's I think ifan.com, all one word, to find out about upcoming episodes. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to the webpage, click on the link at the top of the page that says Donate, and follow the instructions. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It helps. See you next time.